was kept by all the patriarchs from Abel to righteous Noah to Abraham to Jonah. Now, number one, she's dead wrong on that. Um, the Sabbath, even though it is mentioned in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, I can take the time to read that. The Bible says that on the seventh day, the Sabbath, God rested. That's all it says about the Sabbath. It didn't say that Adam kept it. It didn't say that, you know, that God instituted the Sabbath. None of those other things. In fact, the, the Sabbath was not given to mankind until it was given to Israel in the wilderness. Right. And you can see that very plainly in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 13 to 14. Again, I'm not going to take the time to look at it. But it's very plain in that passage that it was given to Israel in the wilderness. If it was given to Israel in the wilderness, then how did Adam and Noah and all these others observe the Sabbath? By the way, it was given to Israel, not to mankind in general. So Israel alone has a special covenant sign between her and God was given the Sabbath. And we see this in Exodus chapter 31, look at verse number 13. Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying... Verily my Sabbath ye shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord that does sanctify you. Verse number 17. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. It doesn't get much plainer than that, that it was to be a sign between God and Israel. Amen. That was to be something special between God and Israel. Amen. Not all of mankind in general, not Adam, not Noah, not everybody else in you know, the patriarchs between them. So Ellen White added the scripture in the teaching that Adam is the patriarch and kept the Sabbath. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. In fact, it can't be true because if the Sabbath had been kept by all of those other people that she mentioned from the creation, it could not have been given as a special sign to Israel, which it was. The second Adventist teaching about the Sabbath, they say that the Sabbath continues to be binding upon New Testament believers. So, we, as Christians today, are bound to the Sabbath. This is what it says in the book, Bible Footlights, which is their, one of their uh, foundational books. From this, it is evident that all Ten Commandments are binding in the Christian dispensation, and that Christ had no thought of changing any of them. One of these commands is the observance of the seventh day as the Sabbath. Turn over to Colossians chapter 2. Because we want to look at what the Bible has to say about this. The New Testament is the only infallible guide that the relationship of a New Testament believer has to the law of Moses. Uh, and it very plainly teaches that the believer is not bound to the Sabbath law. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of the holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath day, which are a shadow of things to come. For the body is of Christ. So, according to the New Testament epistles, and, uh, and again, we don't have time to look at all of them, but according to the New Testament epistles, the Sabbath question has no relevance to the church. Um, in all of the instructions that God gave the churches, there's only one mention of the Sabbath, and that's right there in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, which we just read. And that mention was only to show that it's not binding in New Testament believers anymore. Right. That's the only time that it's mentioned in the New Testament. So, it, is it not strange then, in light of the fact that the New Testament epistles mention the Sabbath only once, and then to show that it's not binding upon us, that Seventh-day Adventism made such a big deal about keeping the Sabbath? It's mentioned one time in the New Testament. If it was such a big deal to God, he would certainly have mentioned it a whole lot more than once. Amen. And there's a lot of other things that they say don't matter. We're going to talk about this later, but, but annihilation. Yeah. There is no such thing as hell. The Bible mentions hell 
all throughout the New Testament. Right. And you can say that that doesn't exist, and then the one mention of the Sabbath, you want to jump on and say that that is an important thing that is still binding on us today. So they have a very different understanding of the Sabbath and of the things of God and the apostles than, than, than we do. The Sabbath, and, and, and if you and you can look at this if you want to in Hebrews chapter 4, I'm not going to take the time to read it again, but in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 9 and 10, it's very plain that the Sabbath was a type of salvation. See, Adventists admit that the Old Testament um, gives us types and shadows, you know, talks of, you know, the Levitical offerings and the, and the, you know, that all of those things were fulfilled in the life and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they say that the Sabbath was not fulfilled in the same way. So all of the types, the, the, the sacrifices and the, the offerings and all of those things, they were all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But this one, this one, was not fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 4, the Sabbath is, is, is presented as a type of salvation. If you read in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 9 and 10, you, you, you see that very clearly. But God rested on the seventh day from his work of creation, and in the same way, we as believers rest in the completed work of Jesus Christ. In order to enter into God's rest, a person has to accept God's work. You have to cease from your own work. I was very plain about that again in John chapter 6, verse 28 29. Salvation is God's gift. So, for them to say that the Sabbath continues to be binding on New Testament believers has no foundation in the New Testament. Here's the third thing that they say that they teach about the Sabbath. The Sabbath law has been changed with the harsh demands of the Mosaic system no longer binding. Okay, so, if, this is one thing that I always have a question for uh, the Jewish people. I've asked some Jewish people this very question. If we're still under the Old Testament, then why do you no longer do sacrifices? What changed? If we're still under the Old Testament law, when Jesus Christ came, but he's not the Messiah, then what changed? Why are you still not under the Old Testament system completely? So, if you want to say that the, the New Testament is, is, or that the Old Testament is still binding on New Testament believers, then how come you're not still sacrificing? How come you're not doing those things that are in the Old Testament? But they, you know, they teach that the law has been changed, that you know, the harsh demands of the Mosaic system is no longer binding on us. They don't keep the Old Testament conditions of the Sabbath. They claim they don't have to because the conditions pertaining to the Sabbath have changed in this age. One of Ellen White's visions is, is what they offer as proof of this. This is what she said. In the most holy place, she saw the ark that contains the law and was amazed to note that the fourth, the Sabbath commandment, above them all. For the Sabbath was set apart to be kept in honor of God's holy name. It was also shown her the change of the Sabbath, the significance of Sabbath observance. Here's another one. The institutions that God has established are for the benefit of mankind. The law of Ten Commandments of which the Sabbath forms a part, God gave to his people as a blessing. Now, what does the Bible say about that? The, the Sabbath law was, was severe and it was rigid. You did not change Sabbath law. In fact, there was a lot of them. And again, I'll give you passages. We don't have time to look at them, but the Jews could not do any work on the Sabbath. Exodus chapter 20, verse 10. Exodus 31, verse 14 and 15. They were not allowed to bear any burden on the Sabbath. See that in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 21. They couldn't even light a fire on the Sabbath. See that in Exodus chapter 35, verse number 3. And it's pretty interesting that really only in warm climates like Israel could that actually be binding, because how do you keep warm? 
if you can't even light a fire on the Sabbath. You know, you have to freeze to death all day on the Sabbath. Well, the climate was warm enough that you didn't need a fire. And they were not supposed to cook. They weren't supposed to do any of those things on the Sabbath day. They were supposed to prepare all of that on the day before the Sabbath, right? Um, the, the law of the Sabbath was actually so severe that God had an Israelite stone for gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. Not even taking the time to light a fire and everything else. So God was very, very strict about the Sabbath. And, and violating the Sabbath law was very severe. And we saw a lot of that transfer over into uh, you know, the New Testament with the Pharisees and all of the things that they required out of everybody else. And so the law of Moses was not given to be a blessing. It was, it was something that was very hard on them. Think about that. You could only walk a certain number of steps on the Sabbath day. You couldn't light a fight. You couldn't do any work. You couldn't bear any burden. Uh, it, was, it was a lot of those different things. And, and, and again, some of those were instituted by the Pharisees themselves. They, you know, you couldn't do any work, so they, they made it that you could only walk this number of steps and everything else. But this was not meant to be a blessing. This, this was something that was binding upon them. In fact, if you look at Acts chapter 15 and verse 10, even the Apostle Peter had lived under this binding law all of his life until he was converted in his adult, uh, his, his adult years, and he called it a yoke of bondage. His quote in Acts chapter 15, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. So this is not something that's just this wonderful thing. You know, the Sabbath was there to, to um, worship God and to take the time, but it was a hard thing for them to, to try to fulfill all the laws of the Sabbath. And so James chapter 2 and verse 10, if, if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you're guilty of all. It was, it, it, it was a law that could not be broken, or you were guilty of the entire law. And so anyone that was desiring to observe the Sabbath had to observe it exactly as God gave that to them. It had to observe all the laws of the Sabbath exactly as God gave that to them. Or he was violating the laws of the Sabbath. So that's what Paul told the Galatian legalizers anyway. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 3 said this, For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is endeavored to do the whole law. You don't get to pick and choose which ones you want to follow and which ones you don't. If you're going to be bound by the law, then you have to follow all of the law or none of it. Because if you if you don't follow the law at one point, then you're guilty of all of the law, right? That's what Paul told them. So the Old Testament law is not the Christian standard. Christ is. But by them, the Seventh-day Adventists reducing the requirements of the Seventh-day laws, then essentially what they're doing is destroying the power of the Mosaic law to reveal the sinner's need for the Savior. That was the point of the law. Did the Bible say that the law was a schoolmaster appointed to Christ? Right. It helps us to recognize the fact that we cannot keep the law on our own. And that if we violate that law in one point, then we're guilty of all of it. Well, if you change all those laws and make them so that they're not so harsh, it, it takes away the whole point of what the law was there to do, and that is to point us to Jesus Christ. So by them saying, well, the law's changed, it doesn't mean this anymore. Not, you know, the Sabbath is not as binding as it was upon us, but we're still bound to those Sabbath day laws. You can't have it both ways. You either have to have everything that the Sabbath was or nothing that the Sabbath was. Right. So the law of Moses was never intended as a way of, of, of life of a justified man. In fact, first Timothy chapter one verse nine says, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. It was intended as a schoolmaster and only as a schoolmaster to bring the sinners to Jesus Christ. Verse 24 and 25 is a very familiar passage to most of us. There's no Bible authority for a change in the Sabbath law. You either do away with the Sabbath 
or you keep the Sabbath law. You cannot have it both ways. The Lord Jesus didn't change the law. He condemned the traditions that the Pharisees had added to it, right? Turn over to Matthew chapter 5. We'll see this. In Matthew chapter 5, what is Matthew chapter 5? The attitudes but the Jesus is, if you remember, in the entire Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, this is what you've been told, but this is what I'm telling you. This is what you've been told, this is what I'm telling you. And obviously the entire point of what Jesus was saying is, heart is the main issue, right? It's not keeping in step with all of these things. The heart is the main issue. Well, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. For verily I say to you, till heaven and earth pass, one job or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So this is just another instance where Ellen White added to the inspired revelation. She saw the Sabbath law as more important than all of the other laws, and, and she even said, it's shown above all the others. Right? How? And where, where do you find that in the Bible? Right. So this is an, an extra inspiration that is being added to the scriptures. The inspired apostles, everyone else, saw no importance in it from the New Testament. You don't see that anywhere in the New Testament. The fourth Adventist teaching about the Sabbath is this. Since Jesus and the apostles kept the Sabbath, Christians should keep it today. Jesus is our great example, right? We look back at the apostles and what they did and what they taught, those are things that we should do and teach as well, right? Here's what she says. The example of Jesus is clear and consistent. His custom was a Sabbath-keeping custom. Yet, in spite of this, we find this strange situation in the world today. For though we have the same Christ as our example, the same Bible as our guide, yet we find two Sabbath days kept by Christians. And this as well. But this actually comes from the Bible correspondence course. Christ's followers were careful to keep the Sabbath on which their very Lord rested from his death struggle with sin. Now, alright, Jesus Christ did, he kept the Sabbath, and he did, for the most part. There were times when his disciples did things on the Sabbath day, and the Pharisees tried to condemn him for doing it, and he said, you know, he, he, he got back at him for it, right? Uh, but what does the Bible have to say about this? Well, Jesus kept the Sabbath because he was born under the law right. to fulfill the demands of the law. Right. So Jesus was a Jew. He's not going to, you know, from the day he was born, start violating the law and everything else, right? I mean, he talked very plainly in the Sermon on the Mount that this is what you've been taught, this is what I'm telling you. But the whole process of that was for him to do away with the law, to fulfill the law, right? But Jesus was not there to, you know, the buck society and everything else. He was born under the Jewish law. That's why he that's why he fit in with the demands of the law. He made himself a servant. He was born under the Mosaic law so that he could redeem sinners from the curse and the bondage of the law. Right? But until he did that, he was still under the law, just the same way that everybody else was. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. And again, we just read part of that. Jesus expounded on the demands of the law, which is perfection. He didn't come to destroy the law, he came to fulfill it. And he did do those things. Jesus looked under the, the, the law so that believers don't have to, right? He fulfilled it. It can't be proven that the Apostle Paul and the early churches observed the Sabbath either. Right? Paul, you know, they, the Adventist teach that that's exactly what Paul, the Apostles, and everybody else, they observed the Sabbath. They show me where it says that. 
Show me in the Bible where it says that Paul and the other apostles observed the Sabbath. Right? We don't see that anywhere. It is true that Paul met in the synagogues. Right? Well, he observed the Sabbath. He was reading in the synagogues on the Sabbath day. He was doing it in order to preach to the Jews who were observing the Sabbath. That they didn't need to observe the Sabbath and all the rest of the laws. And that Jesus Christ had come to fulfill it. So he was meeting them in their needs. He was meeting them where they were. So yes, he was going into the synagogue. He wasn't going into the synagogues to worship. He wasn't going into the synagogues to observe the Sabbath. He was going into the synagogue. And why he got kicked out of the synagogue so many times is because he was teaching anti what they were preaching. Right? He was preaching Jesus. They were teaching the law. So Paul testified to them concerning the, the, the Sabbath question. You see that in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in me, right? Or in drink, or in Sabbath, or, or in holy days, or, or in the new moon, or the Sabbath days. He was plainly teaching them that the Sabbath law is not binding on New Testament believers. To observe or not to observe holy days is a matter of individual liberty, right? Romans chapter 14 and verse 5. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike, but every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Surely the Apostle Paul was not going to be contrary to his own teaching. You need to observe the Sabbath day after he's telling them. You need, to, you need to have that settled in your mind. One day, one day you're going to observe, observe that. So according to the Bible, the reason that Paul visited these, these synagogues is to preach the gospel. His desire was to preach Christ. Of course, his burden was for his own people, the Jews. So he went there to the Jews to preach Christ to them. You see that in Acts chapter 13. Turn over to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 13, verse 14, all the way through verse 44, you see it. Acts chapter 16, verse 13 and 14. Acts chapter 18 and verse 4. We see it here in Acts chapter 17 and verse number 2. Acts chapter 17 and verse number 2. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. He wasn't there observing the Sabbath. He was there preaching Jesus Christ to them. So the fact that Paul went to the synagogue on the Sabbath doesn't prove that he was following the Sabbath laws, doesn't prove that he was observing the Sabbath any more than it's going to the Jewish feast in Jerusalem proves that he was bound to those laws. Right? According to his own epistles, he felt bound to none of those things. He was free in Jesus Christ. And that's what he taught in Galatians, that's what he taught in Corinthians, that's what he taught in Ephesians. You have that liberty in Jesus Christ. He went as a soul winner to witness to his kinsmen. He was burdened for about them knowing Jesus Christ as their Savior. There's a lot of evidence in the Bible and in other historical sources. Of the early days of Christianity, the early days of the apostles, they did not meet on the Sabbath, they met on Sunday. And I spent a lot of time on that on one of these uh, Sunday nights of what I believe and why, talking about why we meet on Sunday, why the Sabbath day is not Saturday. So I'm not going to take the time to do all that tonight, but the fifth. Adventist teaching about the Sabbath is this. The change of the day of worship from Sabbath to Sunday was done by Rome in the 4th century. That's where they say the switch took place. Rome is the one who started, instead of worshiping on Saturday, started worshiping on Sunday as the Sabbath. So they say that the law of the Sabbath was kept by all Christians until the Roman Emperor Constantine, who we know is not necessarily the founder of the Catholic Church, he was the one that basically gave rise to everything that the Catholic Church believes and teaches and everything else. So they say that Constantine was the one that required everybody to start meeting on Sunday. That's where it changed. They see Constantine as a type of a future Antichrist 
they believe that it's, it's going to make you know Sunday worship a law grinding upon everybody. Here's what they say: Constantine was a sun worshiper, but he was also a keen politician. He wanted to please everybody. It was while still a pagan that he decreed that all government offices should be closed upon the first day of the week, the venerable day of the sun. The church, which had now been established in Rome, had been quick to see the temporal advantage of compromise with paganism upon Rome. The Roman Church and the Council of Laodicea set aside the clear command of God and decreed the change from the seventh to the first day of the week. Now, that's where they say the change took place. But what does the Bible have to say about it? Well, as we looked at earlier, there's a lot of evidence in the Bible and in a lot of other historical sources that the early Christians the days of the apostles met to worship on the first day, right? Rather than on the Sabbath day. You see a lot of verses. I'm not, again, I'm not going to take time to go through those different verses, but on the first day of the week, when every man lay aside that which is his door, right? Why would you tithe on Sunday if you're meeting in church on Saturday? Right? I mean, it's just there's lots of verses that, that talk about those things. But since those days, the vast majority of Christians have met and worshiped on the Lord's day. So they do that in honor of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He, he rose from the dead on the first day of the week. Right. And so they started to meet on the first day of the week in honor of the day that Jesus Christ resurrected. And that did not start in the fourth century under Constantine. That started in the first century under the apostles. So Christ is in the tomb on the Sabbath. He rose as the first one from the dead on the first day. So the Sabbath day signifies the last day of the old creation. You see that in Genesis chapter 2. But Sunday... Is the first day of the new creation. So, for them to say that that worshiping on Sunday is following a pagan tradition from Constantine, not only is not found in the Bible, it's not even found in this historical record of the early church. Here's the sixth Adventist teaching about the Sabbath. They say that the church has changed the Sabbath to Sunday without Bible authority. Here's what they say. Ellen White wrote this in the Great Controversy. Christians of past generations observed the Sunday, supposing that in so doing they were keeping the Bible Sabbath. And there are now true Christians in every church, not accepting the Roman Catholic communion, who honestly believe that Sunday is the Sabbath of divine appointment. So she's saying, people who don't claim to be Catholic, people who don't claim to be false Christians, they claim to be real Christians, and they're actually meeting on Sunday, saying that they have the authority of the Bible to do this. Well, Sunday's not the Sabbath. It's not even a holy day. I don't believe in Christians do not observe the Sabbath by assembling on Sunday. We didn't move the Sabbath day from Saturday to Sunday. We don't observe the Sabbath anymore. Amen. We are meeting apart from the law after the law has been done away with to meet in church on Sunday. We're not observing the Sabbath because we're not meeting on Sunday. We didn't take authority that was not given to us and move the Sabbath day from Saturday to Sunday. That's where they misunderstand, I guess. But the New Testament believers, we are redeemed from the obligations of the Mosaic Law. We're free to not observe these holy days, right? Uh, of course, no Christian should forsake the assembly, as the Bible tells us in Hebrews. But, but every Christian is free to honor or not to honor holy days, right? We don't have to honor the Sabbath, and we're not honoring the Sabbath by meeting on Sunday. Romans chapter 14, Colossians chapter 2. We're not to be judged in respect to holy days. It doesn't get any clearer than that. We've already read Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. But turn over to Galatians chapter 4. The Galatians' respect of these holy days actually made the Apostle Paul fear that they were not even saved 
because they started putting such an emphasis on the Sabbath. Paul said, you're scaring me. You're making me think that you don't even know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Galatians chapter 4, verse number 10, verse number 11, verse number 20, very different pieces and parts of that. But he said, you observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Verse 20. I desire to be present with you now, but to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Right? You're, you're, you're observing these days and times and months and all of these other things. I'm scared. I'm afraid that you that you didn't really get it. Why are you going back to those things and observing the things that were under the law if you're not under the law anymore? You don't have to turn there. Romans chapter 14, verse 4 and 5. Who art thou that judges another man's servant? Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Right? Seventh-day Adventism teaches about the Sabbath number seven. That they, they claim that it's fulfilling prophecy by proclaiming the Sabbath. They believe that God raised them up as, quote, the last day's remnant church. To proclaim the truth of the Sabbath as a test for mankind. Now, you think that, oh, it's just a little, you know, and, and, and I think this is some way that they try to come across. Just a little bit of a difference in opinion. We believe that the Sabbath is Saturday, that's the This is a philosophy difference. This is a doctrinal difference. This is a completely different mindset, if you will. They believe that God raised them up to proclaim the truth. And that whether or not you observe the Sabbath or not is going to be a test of whether or not you are a true Christian. And they don't have any problem saying it that way. The work is going to culminate in great tribulation. They believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. So, for proof of that, they, they point to four major passages. Again, don't have the time to look at it. I'll give you those passages. But Isaiah chapter 58, verse 12 through 14, Matthew 24, 14, Revelation 14, 6 through 12, and Revelation 12, 17. They point to that as proof that we are going to be tested on whether or not we are observing the Sabbath. And that's going to be the test of true Christianity or not. Here's what they say From the very first, Seventh-day Adventists have boldly proclaimed the three messages of Revelation 14, 16, 6 through 12 as God's last appeal to sinners to accept Christ, and have humbly believed their movement to be the one here designated as the remnant. No other religious body is proclaiming this composite message, and none other meets the specification. Adventists have recovered these gems of truth and restored them to their rightful setting. Examples? Precious Sabbath truth, as opposed to the painful Sunday. Particularly, is the Sabbath commandment to be restored to its rightful place in the Ten Commandment law of God. Isaiah declared that God's remnant people would repair the breach made in God's law when the papacy tore a fourth commandment out of the heart of the Decalogue. So, in other words, Catholicism established Sunday as the day that we worship God. True test of whether this is a true church or not whether you observe the Sabbath, Saturday, as God's holy day. What does the Bible have to say about that? Turn over to Isaiah 58. Verses that are used by the Seventh-day Adventists to support this doctrine are misused. Like almost everything else that they do, and like, like anyone else, any other false religion uses the Bible to back up their quote-unquote doctrine, they always take it out of context. The Old Northern New Testament speaks of any religious group that is going to rise up in the last days prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ to proclaim the Sabbath. 
Revelation 14, verse 12, does say that the great tribulation is remnant to appease the commandment of God, but nothing is said about a special emphasis on the commandment of the Sabbath. We are keeping the commandments of God. We're following what the Bible says about how we have to live and everything else, right? So this interpretation that is pushed upon this uh, verse by Adventism really illustrates their absence with these Nice and exactly yes, it does say keep the commandments of God. It doesn't say keep the commandments of God in relation to the Sabbath. It added that. They twisted it to make it say that. By the way, the remnant of Revelation is the Jews. Right. We see that in Revelation chapter 7, verse 1 through 8. In Isaiah 56, Isaiah 58, that they use as their, their quote unquote uh, proof passages. God just admonishing the nation of Israel to keep the Sabbath. Right? Just as he's done throughout all of Israel's history. We're no longer under Isaiah. Right? The prophecies in Isaiah were given to Israel, not to us. Unless it relates to Jesus Christ, the coming of the Messiah. We do see some passages in Isaiah that, that, that back that up. But those were all given to Israel. We're telling Israel to keep the Sabbath. Like he always told them to keep the Sabbath. So Isaiah 56 and 58 speak of the nation of Israel, not the church. That's where they completely misunderstood that. Isaiah 58, verse number 1. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sin. It's written specifically to Israel. It's written to them. That Isaiah would point Israel to the Sabbath law, agrees with all the other passages that speak of the Sabbath, would give the nation of Israel as a special covenant sign to Israel. So Israel is always going to keep recovering the Sabbath. The church, though, is not the nation of Israel. And the church does not fill, fulfill prophecies that were given to the nation of Israel. There's three distinct people that are spoken about in this dispensation. Israel, the Gentiles, and the church. And people confuse those all the time. But it's very funny that those are three distinct things in chapter 10, verse number 32. Give no offense neither to the Jews, or to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Amen. It's very clear that there are three different groups that are talked about in this dispensation. The church is not Israel. Israel is not the church. Right. God's plan for the nation of Israel, as it was foretold in the Old Testament, literally going to be fulfilled in the nation of Israel, not the church. Right? So the real source of this idea is, is Ellen White's vision. Here's what she says. Seven months after the whites, this, she didn't say this, this was, um, actually she did. She wrote this in a letter. In uh, 1874, seven months after the whites commenced keeping and teaching the Sabbath, the Lord gave a vision stressing its importance. Conducted through the heavenly sanctuary, in the most holy place, she saw the ark that contains the law and was amazed to note that the fourth the Sabbath commandment showed above the law. For the Sabbath was set apart to be kept in honor of God's holy name. The holy Sabbath looked glorious; a halo of glory was all around it. There was also shown her the change of the Sabbath, the significance of Sabbath's observance, the work before them in proclaiming the Sabbath truth, the relationship of Sabbath observance to the troublous times before the loyal people of God, climaxing the second coming of Christ, bringing final deliverance. The relationship of Sabbath to the third angel's message was also revealed. I was shown its importance and its place in the third angel's message. So in spite of all of the Adventist denial, it's very clear that these supposed visions of Ellen White are the real uh, authority for the doctrine that they are claiming that the remnant church of the last days raised up by God 
proclaiming to all the world what the true church is. Here again, we find this key Adventist doctrine that's formed on the visions of a prophetess. We try to say, oh, Ellen White is not this, Ellen White is not that. It's very plain that she was. So, I said this earlier, but without Ellen White, there would be no Seventh-day Adventist church. Many of the major doctrines could not be derived from the Bible alone. They have to be derived from the Bible plus the visions of Ellen White. So, the Seventh-day Adventist cults do all these other heretical cults. Look at the scriptures only through these strangely tinted heretical glasses, right? Had there been no Joseph Smith spectacle, there would be no more the church. Had there been no spectacles of, you know, um, Rutherford, uh, Joseph Rutherford and Charles James Russell, there would be no Jehovah's Witness. And were there no spectacles that Ellen White was looking through, there would be no Seventh-day Adventist church either, regardless of what they want to say about where their authority comes from or not. So, uh, the Seventh-day Adventists obviously obtained their eyeglasses from Ellen White. Let me give you the last one then. The Eighth Adventist teaching about the Sabbath. It's, they say that the Sabbath keeping is going to be the test of obedience during the Great Tribulation. They believe that during the Great Tribulation, Sunday observance, get this, Sunday observance is going to be the mark of the beast. If you observe Sunday as the day of the Sabbath, you have taken the mark of the beast. Everybody who observes Sunday worship in the Great Tribulation is going to be taking the mark of the beast, and therefore, you are lost. If you take the mark of the beast, you're lost, right? So, if Sunday worship is the mark of the beast, then anybody who worships on Sunday is lost. Here's what they say. Adventist interpreters understand this mark to be not a literal brand, but some sign of allegiance that identifies the bearer as loyal to the power represented by the beast. The controversy at that time will center on the law of God, and particularly on the fourth command, Hence, the observance of Sunday will constitute such a sign. They also say this. This dispensing was one of the precepts of the Decalogue and substituting in its place a day God never commanded is claimed by this power as the mark of its authority to bind the conscience of men. However, appalling revelation, this establishment of the first day of the week as a day of worship in spite of God's clear word that the seventh day is the Sabbath, this, by overwhelming evidence and unashamed admission, is the mark so soon to be imposed. Now, the fact that Sunday observance is the mark of the beast is not found anywhere in Scripture. The mark of the beast is there, but he never said the mark of the beast by observe, you know, by observing Sunday as the Sabbath is going to be the mark. You know, that, that idea is conjured up by Ellen White, of course, accepted as dogma by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So it, it's very true that the Antichrist is is going to think to change times of love, but nowhere in the Bible does it say that this involves the Sabbath day or Sunday, right? The, the, the Bible doesn't reveal exactly what laws the Antichrist is going to change. They say, based on things that Ellen White has said and the dogma that they've, uh, you know, that they've decided to take as their practice and faith, that that law is going to be the Sabbath day law that's going to change. The Bible doesn't say that, right? So the SDA, Seventh-day Adventist Church, comes from basically Ellen G. White. In fact, on the back cover of an edition of Ellen White, The Great Controversy, uh, it says this, she is considered to have been inspired of God. Tell me that that's not where they're getting their doctrines from. Right? Oh, well, Ellen White, yeah, she was, she was just an inspired commentator. 
No, they're taking everything that she says and turning it into doctrine of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And so, in, in, in that book, Ellen White describes the doctrine she supposedly was taught by angels through several different visions. And it's here, among these other strange doctrines and additions to God's revelation, that she develops the idea of Sunday observance as Mark of This is what she said in the Through the two great errors, the immortality of the soul and Sunday sacredness, by the way, that's one of the other things we're going to bring up next week, they say that the soul is not immortal. The soul is going to die. When you die, that's the end. So what she's saying here is the two great errors, the immortality of the soul and the Sunday sacredness, Satan will bring the people under his deception. The Protestants of the United States will be foremost in stretching their hands across the gulf to grasp the hand of spiritualism. They will reach over the abyss to clasp hands with the Roman power. It will be declared that men are offending God by the violation of the Sunday Sabbath, that this sin has brought calamities which will not cease until Sunday observance shall be strictly enforced, and that those who present the claims of the Fourth Commandment, thus destroying reverence for Sunday, are troublers of the people. Those who honor the Bible Sabbath will be denounced as enemies of the law and order. As Protestant churches reject the clear scriptural argument in defense of God's law, they will long to silence those whose faith they cannot overthrow by the Bible. Dignitaries of the church and state will unite to bribe, persuade, or compel all classes to honor the Sunday, even in free America. So basically what she's saying is, those of us who are saying that we should worship on Sunday are the ones who have taken the part of the beast, we've reached across the aisle and shaken hands with the Roman church, and we're going to do anything we can to bring about the Antichrist. The only ones who are really the church are those who are still observing the Sabbath. Thus, by her opinion, the only true church and the only, only ones who can really be saved are those that are in the Seventh-day Adventist church. You can't deny that, that, that she had an unusual, vigorous imagination. And uh, there's no biblical support for that whatsoever. So, when we get back together next week, we're going to try to finish up. We're going to talk about soul sleep. One of the things that they say um, is about death. We're going to talk about annihilation of the wicked. There is no hell. There is no heaven. You just annihilate. That's the end. We're going to talk about a couple more things, and then I'm going to conclude next week with... I've been I've been putting it all throughout, but we're going to conclude next week by talking specifically a little bit more about Ellen White. And really, I've moved from the category of Seventh Day Adventists possibly being Christians to them not being Christians to them actually being cults. Oh, yeah. That's that's the camp I've been with them now. Oh, yeah. And uh, I mean, the more you know about them, the more you understand where they came from, the more you understand who she is. The more you you cannot help but put them in the category of being nothing but cult. Is there people within the Seventh Day Adventist Church who could be saved? I believe so. I believe there are some. Um, but those who hold to all of the doctrine of the Seventh Day Adventist Church, no chance, no chance. Especially about the things we talked about here, Sabbath keeping and everything else. If you're if you're still under the law, then how can you be under grace? You've not accepted the gift of God, the grace of Jesus Christ. If you're still under the law and observing the, the, the law, right? You can't have it both ways. So we'll finish up talking about that next week. And hopefully we'll be up. Let's pray. Father, we love you. You may thank you so much for
I'll be George to it. As always, God, thank you for the truth of the Word of God. I pray that you help us to rightly divide the Word of Truth. That you help us to understand it in the way that it was meant to be understood and in the way that it was written for us. And God, I pray that you help us as we go through these things that, that we understand them as well and that we might be able to lead some to Jesus Christ. God, thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.